Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 26th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi's immigrant community asks lawmakers to consider legislation that protects and preserves their community. Then, school choice advocates want more options, but supporters for traditional public schools say the state shouldn't redirect funds away from an already underfunded system. Plus, a Mississippi university charts a new course in better understanding and combating human trafficking. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Aprendamos. Let's learn. Que el futuro es hoy. That the future is today. Y que las decisiones. And the decisions. Marcan la historia. Make, make the history. An alliance of immigrants and advocates took to the Capitol steps yesterday to ask lawmakers to remember their well-being when they consider legislation this session. It was part of the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance's Civic Engagement Day. Natalie Camacho is an immigrant who has lived in the U.S. most of her life. She says growing up, she didn't feel any different than her peers until she became a teenager. That's when her status prevented her from getting a job or a driver's license. Through Deferred, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, she was able to get the protections needed to get a job and eventually go to school. But she says more can be done to provide security for immigrant communities. Although DACA is great and has provided many great benefits, there's always room for improvement. I believe we should have a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers. There are approximately 27,000 DACA recipients that are health care workers, including nurses, dentists, pharmacists, physicians, assistants, home health aides, technicians, and other staff. And nearly 200 are medical students, residents, and physicians. Dreamers are the future. We should invest in these young people who provide so much for this country. Attendees came not only to share their stories, but to meet with legislators. Patricia Ice is the legal project director for MIRA. She tells our Lacey Alexander they want lawmakers to be reminded of the people that are impacted by the policies they create. It's really, really important for the legislators to see the immigrants, that they are here in the community, to see their children, and to become aware of their issues. And so we have a list of topics 
and we hope that by engaging with individual legislators that they will be able to see the people who are our constituents and see their humanity because a lot of times legislators not only in the state but in Congress they make laws but they really don't know how those laws are affecting the people and so we want them to see us and see that we are people and that we these laws affect us as well. Can you kind of speak on what some of those topics are? Yes, yeah, some of those topics are workers' compensation, uh, workers' compensation injuries at work, minimum wage issues because Mississippi does not have a minimum wage. Um, Mississippi's wage is the federal minimum wage because uh, we don't have our own. We want to talk about conditions at work. Um, new holidays, that's something interesting. Like, we would like to have um, Martin Luther King's birthday here in Mississippi celebrated only as Martin Luther King's birthday and not Robert E. Lee's birthday. We want to remove Confederate Memorial Day as a state holiday. We don't think that we need that anymore. And we would like to designate the second Monday in October as Indigenous Native American Day instead of Columbus Day. So we would like to see that holiday go at the federal level as well. But here in Mississippi, we would like to see it celebrated. And some of the other things that we're here to talk about are education and in-state tuition. We want to see all high school graduates who lived here, and this bill talks about living here for the last 12 months. If you have 12 months of residency in Mississippi, we believe that that shall constitute eligibility for uh, in-state tuition at our community colleges and our four-year colleges and, and universities. So that is important to us. So those are some of the things that we want to talk to the legislators about, and we're hoping that we can find them and that we can uh, enter, in, if we can enter, excuse me, we want to be able to find them and engage them on some of these issues. But it's really important for them to see, the, see people from the immigrant population because people who are immigrants are really everywhere in this state. They could be, an immigrant could be your neighbor, an immigrant could be your friend, could be your classmate, could go to church with you. Um, so we want people to recognize the humanity of all people and the humanity of immigrants, and that's why we're here today. Mira's Patricia Ice with our Lacey Alexander. Coming up, school choice advocates want more options, but supporters for traditional public schools say the state shouldn't redirect funds away from an already underfunded system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. 
An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It's National School Choice Week, a time when supporters of school choice call on state legislators to expand K-12 education options. Yesterday at the state capitol in Jackson, Empower Mississippi hosted a coalition of students, teachers, and advocates to show their support for expanded school opportunities. Grant Callen is CEO of the conservative nonprofit that has long advocated for school choice. Every child is unique. They learn at different paces. They have different strengths and gifts and interests. Um, we have children that are special needs. We have students that are gifted. Asking one school to meet the needs of every student in the community that often have really diverse needs, it's just asking too much. And I think if you look across the state, you can see in some places traditional public school works wonderful and delivers a world-class education. And in other places we struggle. And so if you make sure that we have a a diversity of options, there's a much better chance that individual kids are going to get matched with a a school that best meets their needs. And they can shop around. So if you find they may start out in one school, and if it doesn't meet their needs or they're struggling, you have the option of trying another one that might be a better setting. So students win. They achieve great things when they're matched with the right setting. Empower distributed yellow scarves to attendees. Callan says school choice isn't about undermining public schools, but opening up more opportunities. Over the last 20 years, uh, spending for public education has gone up dramatically. Uh, The per student amount has never been higher. It's over $10,000 per student per year. It's not about saying public schools can't serve every student. Private schools can't serve every student. Charters can't serve every student. Magnet schools couldn't serve every student. It's about saying no one type works for every child. And so we should want policies that create uh, the, the pathway for all of those different options to flourish, including traditional public schools. I mean, the vast majority of students in Mississippi today attend neighborhood traditional public schools. And that's probably always going to be the case. So let's make sure our public schools are flourishing just while we're trying to make sure these other sectors are flourishing too. What are some roadblocks in the way that might make it difficult for schools to get started or for non-traditional schools to get started in Mississippi? I would say there's, there's been a couple of things. One, uh, until recently, if you were going to start a charter school, the you know charter schools are public schools that are funded with public dollars, but the funding doesn't come until students show up. And it's usually a three-year process to go from kind of initial early stage development to putting together your application to going through the approval process with the charter authorizer board. And somebody's got to do all that um, and fund it until the public dollars start flowing once they're once the students show up. So we're trying to solve that piece by by pushing funding, private sector funding, to founders earlier in the process so they can focus on their application. Um, That's one of the hurdles, uh, just having more application assistance so that they know what's required to go into a charter application. Um, That's been a real hurdle. Nobody's really stepped up to help charters through the process. Um, And then I would say the charter authorizer board um, has been slow to approve new schools. 
Uh, I'm really excited. They approved uh, a new school in October that will be opening in Natchez. Um, but they have said no a whole lot more than they've said yes. The beauty of a charter school is if they're not successful, they will be shut down. So, and, they, and they're, they're not allowed to open a charter except in a failing school district anyway, unless you're going to get permission from the local district. So we're talking about providing much-needed support in a community that's been chronically troubled for, for many of these districts a long time. We got to give more a chance. We got to give more a chance and see if they can provide an opportunity for kids. And if you just look around and see the kids here, you can see a lot of great opportunities being provided. But advocates for public education say the state shouldn't direct funds away from public schools, which have not been fully funded in decades. Nancy Loom is executive director of the Parents Campaign, a nonprofit focused on enhancing public education in Mississippi. She tells our Kobe Vance the idea of school choice can often be misleading. Parents already have a choice about where they send their children to school. What what these folks are pushing is for taxpayers to pay the tuition of their children who want to attend private school. And of course, the Constitution prohibits that as it should. Um, the state is responsible for funding a system of schools that is open to all children. And unfortunately, private schools are not open to all children. They accept the children they want to teach, and they decline to admit the, the children they don't see as a good fit for them. So that's not an acceptable use of our tax dollars. What happens when that funding is directed away from public schools into private schools? Well, of course, you know, for years now, legislators have been telling us that they, they don't have enough money to fully fund public schools. So, of course, every dollar that is spent on something else is a dollar less um, that cannot be spent on public schools. So it does um, affect the children in our public schools. It diminishes the quality of education that we are able to provide them. Some of the arguments that were made this week are that these many children that attend these um, these alternate schooling methods are are it's in special need of extra education, or they need a, a special uh, focus by a by an educator that a public school can't give. Do you think that's a valid argument that students can't get that kind of service at a public school? You know, the federal government um, federal law requires that public schools serve every child and, and meet all of the accommodations that the child qualifies for. And public schools are the schools that have teachers who are certified in special education who are specifically trained to provide those services. So we've heard that for years, and what we have found is that when these parents elect to send their children to the private schools, very often the private schools are actually having public school uh, teachers come into their schools to serve the needs of the, the children in the private schools. So it's the very same education that the children in our public schools are getting. Um, but federal law does require 
that public schools spend some of their funding, use some of their federal resources to serve children in private schools. So these are the very same teachers who are teaching in our public schools, who are going over to the private schools to serve those children as well. So, no, that really is not uh, a valid argument. Is there anything else we'd like to talk about when it comes to this arc, this idea of school choice and what if Mississippians should be considering, you know, better investments into public education? Well, we know that there's plenty of money available this year to fully fund public schools, so legislators really have no excuse not to. And that truly is the very best investment that we can make in terms of our state tax dollars. We know that when children, when we invest in our children in public schools, it really has a very positive impact on their opportunities for the rest of their lives to, in terms of salary potential, the um, career opportunities that are open to them. And that helps, benefits all of us in our communities. It helps with economic development. Um, typically, crime rates are lower in schools that are providing a great, high-quality public education. So all of us benefit when we invest in our children and in our public schools. Nancy Loom is Executive Director of the Parents' Campaign. Nancy, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Coming up, a Mississippi university charts a new course in better understanding and combating human trafficking. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The University of Southern Mississippi's Center for Human Trafficking Research and Training is collaborating with the Secretary of State's office to better prepare businesses to combat the crime. The center hosted a summit this week designed to provide awareness and preventive measures regarding human trafficking. Dr. Tamara Hurst is co-director of the center. She says this is a unique opportunity to highlight some of the state and local agencies involved in Mississippi's anti-human trafficking efforts. That's the most important part to me of what we do. So you can provide training. I mean, we can provide training uh, till we're blue in the face, two hours here and an hour there and maybe a day-long training. But unless our agencies and businesses and service providers have a protocol on how to respond, recognize, report, find resources for persons who have been exploited, then that training won't really do any good. So we build awareness, but then we also need to follow that up with building out these protocols to make them individualized for each entity so they can respond appropriately. Wow, that sounds like a big task, trying to reach agencies in the state and businesses. It is. We're very fortunate with our new partnership with the Secretary of State's office, who is interested in reaching businesses. Uh, We also partner with our Mississippi Human Trafficking Council and the Department of Health, who reaches out to service providers. And then we're on the ground in the nine counties in the state to work in that area, and we hope to bring that to the other counties as we move along in time. 
you had a summit. Tell us what the summit was about and why you felt the need to have it. Well, the Secretary of State's office reached out to us regarding Secretary Watson's initiative uh, with Mississippi Businesses Against Trafficking. And since this is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, they were interested in bringing more information to how businesses can recognize and respond to instances of labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And, of course, we were so excited about their interest, uh, we jumped at the chance. And so approximately 300 people had uh, responded and signed up for the event. And we're hoping that each one takes away something useful that they can apply in their own places of work or their own lives or their own community to assist both Secretary Watson and our center with, with our efforts. Usually when we think of human trafficking, we think of the sexual aspect. But you mentioned labor trafficking. Can you tell us a little bit about that and if there are other types of trafficking besides those two? That's also a really good question, and I am very excited that you asked because labor trafficking is often secondary to when we talk about anti-human trafficking efforts, and that means it's not reported as much or not recognized as much. Sex trafficking is much more researched. Uh, We seem to have better access to those who have been victimized by exploiters. Labor trafficking can happen in any area, particularly in areas that have high-risk industries like agriculture or the seafood industry, nail salons. Um, You might see it with youth uh, who are part of uh, traveling sales crews, who are uh, peddling or begging, um, you know, in, in thinking about buying candy bars or magazine subscriptions when it really could be a form of labor trafficking. Labor trafficking is specific that you have to have forced fraud or coercion involved by the trafficker to make that stick in a, in a court of law. Okay. So tell me, what is the difference between prostitution and human trafficking for sex purposes? So prostitution is uh, truly a phrase that came out of the criminal justice system. And uh, when you're talking about adults who are exchanging sex for something, uh, we have laws throughout the United States that says that part is illegal. For adults that may be trafficked, you have to have the force, fraud, or coercion involved. So maybe they were forced into it. They were told that they had to make a certain amount of money, um, or bad things would happen, they were lied to. So when we talk about prostitution, we're careful with that because it's really a criminal justice term. We can talk about people who are exploited. When you're also talking about under the age of 18, any commercial sex act is considered trafficking. So anyone 18 and under, if this youth is 17 years old and exchanged sex, or something else, the person that gave them something is, is considered part of a trafficker, is a trafficker, and the youth has been exploited. That's according to our federal and state laws. Are you finding that the public is more aware of human trafficking? They're getting more aware, but, and no offense to Mississippi Public Broadcasting, but the media is not helping with some of the images and the presentation of what trafficking is. 
So there's a lot of misinformation that comes out, and that's that's done by presenters that are picked up, you know, by media um, and and others. But they're becoming aware, but some of the information is incorrect. Um, thinking about how we know numbers, we have no idea of the extent of the problem, which is where the center is hoping to come in and get some research behind that. They talk about the number of dollars earned through this illegal activity, and we really don't know about that. We don't know the number one city or the hot spots or if this is occurring more along interstate corridors. Um, the Super Bowl is coming up, and uh, we'll, I'm looking to see who is talking about the amount of human trafficking around the Super Bowl when we don't really know that around big sporting events it increases. It's always been there. There's no more focus on it during the big events. It is very unfortunate that the researchers have better access to female victims, so male victims aren't, um, their stories are not coming to the surface as much. And there's so much stigma out there about males as victims of exploitation, uh, whether it's uh, sex or labor. We need to bring males more into the conversation. Um, uh, people feel like males, you know, are able to protect themselves a little bit better. It's a stereotype, and we need to get rid of that stereotype. Well, Professor Tamara Hurst, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.